Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about infertility and adoption. On today's show, we're going to be talking about should you tell your family and friends that you use donor sperm, donor egg, or donor embryo. I am Dawn Davenport. I am the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Infertility and Adoption Education and Support Nonprofit. And you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. As I've told you last week, we have just published a new multimedia guide. This one is Surviving the Holidays Without a Child, a multimedia guide for those trying to conceive or adopt. It is free, uh, in part thanks to our uh, lead sponsor, Children's Connection, Inc. They are a Texas-based child welfare agency that provides a full range of services, including domestic adoption, foster care adoption, and embryo donation and adoption. Um, the guide has getting some great reviews. Um, you really should check it out. As I said, it's free. It is. Uh, some of the uh, reviewers are, are blog reviewers, and they're saying it is practical. It is full of tips, and it's full of humor. Uh, and we all know that a touch of humor really will help you this season. Uh, this week is Thanksgiving. I strongly encourage you to go to our website, creatingafamily.org, and on the top right-hand side of most of the pages, uh, there is a box that uh, advertises the guide, and you can just click on that, and it will take you to the guide page, uh, and you can uh, um, click to download it to your phone or to your computer. So please, please uh, do that. Uh, We're really proud of this one, and we want you to have it. Uh, to help you for the next couple of weeks or, or getting through the next holiday season. Uh, Creating a Family is a weekly radio show. We ut- utilize the podcast model. That way you can listen wherever and whenever you want. And we can also archive everything. Uh, you can and you should subscribe to this podcast through iTunes or whatever uh, podcasting uh, app you are using. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring is pleased to offer their IVF Greenlight program, providing discounts of up to 50% on select IVF products. All cash-paying patients are eligible, and unlike other programs, there is no financial requirement. Get more information at ivfgreenlight.com. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create their family. Some of our gold sponsors include Fairfax Cryobank. They have been a leader in sperm donation for over 25 years, and they have been a loyal supporter of this show for many years as well. They are dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors. We also have Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey, 
They are a recognized scientific and patient care leader in the field of infertility with 10 offices and 21 physicians throughout New Jersey. We have Manhattan Cryobank. They are dedicated to helping clients have healthy babies by analyzing a client's DNA in combination with the DNA of prospective sperm donors to provide the client with a personalized catalog of safer donor matches. And we have Nightlight Christian Adoption. They are a pioneer in offering embryo donation and adoption services to clients throughout the world through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. And the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law, including providing a gestational surrogacy matching program as well as legal services for independent surrogacy, egg donation, and embryo donation matters. Today we're going to be talking about should you tell your family and friends you use donor sperm, egg, and embryo? And this is a separate question. You've heard us talk a lot about the child's right to know and telling your child that they, they utilize third-party reproduction. Um, but a separate issue is, is this something you should also tell your family and friends? Uh, and if you decide that it is something you want to do, how do you tell them? And, and how do you draw the line about who to tell and who not to tell? And is that just keeping secrets that are bound to get out? And is that a good idea? Or is this really anybody else's business? And on and on and on. Our guest today is Betty Galen. She is a licensed clinical social worker specializing in infertility and third-party reproduction. She has worked for the Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey for eight years, and she also has a private practice in Montclair, New Jersey. This is a re-airing of a show that we did a couple of years ago. The information is just as relevant today as it was then, in fact, if not more so since more people are utilizing donor sperm, egg, and embryo now. It is complex. This show was very well received uh, by people who have already done it or are considering using third-party reproduction. I hope you enjoy it as much as they did and as much as I have. Welcome, Betty, to Creating a Family. Thank you, Don. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm going to start off. I mean, often we, we, we almost always get questions from our audience, but uh, a lot of times they're not good lead-in questions. But today I got lucky. We have a great question that's a, a good lead-in. This is from Amy. She says, we think our next step in infertility treatment is going to be donor egg. If our plans work out, we will do a donor egg cycle early next year. We are trying to decide on who to tell and who not to tell. We've listened to all the Creating a Family shows on talking with kids and are now all in favor of telling our child or children. We understand the importance of that, even though I dread it. But my question is, who else should we tell? I'd like to hear you talk about all the different levels of people to tell, um, but my real question is about family and friends. Okay, well, I think that's a, it's, such a, um, it's such a good leading question, and what I particularly like is she talks about the levels of who to tell. So, um, So who... Who is on the, what are the, just generally, what levels of people, what options do you have, what levels of people are out there that one might want to tell uh, about their uh, decision to use third-party reproduction to create their family? Well, we're first talking about, of course, the uh, the couple's parents, the mom and dad and in- in-laws. And then there are close friends, maybe there's cousins, um, you know, Aunt Sally maybe is really close to them. And then their girlfriends or, or guy friends that they've been keeping um, abreast of where they've been going in their infertility journey. I do find, however, that once people have made a decision to move from either IUI or IVF, 
and now they're thinking about a third party, I find that people will start to kind of pull in and not give out as much information because they haven't made a decision. Do they want to tell that many people? Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about IVF and um, uh, IUI. They, know, they probably know many, many people who have gone through that portion of infertility. But once they start doing a third party, they're, um, they find that they, they're, they don't know what emotions they're going to feel once they get to that point. They might be deep in thinking, um, worried about it. You know, they, Amy just said she decided to tell her um, the future child, which many people don't get to that quite yet in the very beginning stages. So uh, actually the um, counselors generally agree that the uh, this is the child's story. And so it depends on what level of trust people have with the people in their lives. Um, oftentimes I hear things like, well, I can't tell my brother or my sister because they've got big mouths, or I can't tell my sister-in-law because who knows who's going to find out about it. So I think it takes an examination of who the people are in their lives uh, and who they want to tell, who they feel like they can trust with the information. Um but what of the issue one of the issues that often comes up is that once you tell one person it tends to get out anyway so how how do you handle if you tell anyone outside of a very small circle um how do you handle the the issue that if you've told your mother-in-law or if you've told your sister but you haven't told your brother, then you've got a family secret situation going on. No question, right, right, no question. So, I mean, let's talk some about that, that the notion of telling one person but not another. How do you draw lines, and and is it even realistic to think that you can? Well, I think it can be very difficult to draw lines. You know, sometimes people will, you know, sometimes people when they start out doing IVF or IUI, they need support, and they just really need people to surround them with love and, and taking care of them. And it's when they just, then it's that switch. Should I tell somebody a person? Sometimes people do continue to feel, I need to have support. So, yes, it will be a family secret. That's true. And family secrets can be very difficult. So people have to make a decision. Are they going to tell anybody or everybody? And um, it's a hard decision to make. And it's a it's a very personal decision. Um that's why I said that most people, if you if you don't feel like you, if you feel like you can actually go through this process with your husband or wife as your sole support, then keep that information to yourself until you decide when you're going to tell the child and if you're going to tell the child because, you know, we don't know if everybody's going to make the decision that Amy made, although we do suggest that that's, we do believe that that's the best way to go. Yeah, that's a topic for another show, but and we've done yes, quite a right. few, I should add, uh, on yes, that. Yes, yes. Uh, we've we've done a lot of topics on that. Uh, yeah, why why do you find that people are hesitant to tell? Because I think you're exactly right that when people are are uh, embarking upon the uh, infertility treatment journey, um, some people are quite uh, uh, circumspect about telling anybody that, but more people certainly do. Why, when they move to non-genetic parenting, uh, donor, egg, sperm, or embryo, do you find that people then start drawing in and are fearful 
of telling other people? What are they afraid of, I guess, would be maybe the question. Yeah, it, it, it's really fear-based, right? They're afraid, number one, if they look down, in, if they look into the future, they're afraid that the whoever they've told will look at the child differently. They'll say, oh, well, that's not really her child, something like that. And that's very painful, of course, because there's, if there, or, or his, you know, depending on sperm or egg. The second thing is um, they're afraid that they, they'll tell everybody their business. And they don't want them to everybody to know, so they kind of pull in that way. Um, they think that down the road they're afraid that um, somebody might say to the child something completely inappropriate, like, "You know, you don't look like so and so. You don't you don't do the same things that we do." Something inappropriate to have the child feel somewhat different. Of course, I I don't find that that's true, but that is a fear in the beginning. Uh, sometimes they family dynamics, which have been around, uh, you know, for their whole life, they're afraid that they're going to show up again, like um, sibling rivalries. You know, some they're afraid to tell a sibling because one's going to go one up on them and say something about, well, I had a baby easily. How come you can? Or um, it must be hard to have a baby that's not genetically related. Something that would kind of uh, shine a spotlight on what's been happening to them their whole lives. Uh, Sibling rivalry of, I, you know, we have the only real grandchild in the family. Something along those lines. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right, and yeah. you know, and then they worry about you know legacy. You know, we could go that route too. Well, if there's money to be inherited, what happens there if it's not the real grandchild, right? So people worry about that. If there's if if families have bad communication styles, if they're screaming at each other all the time, if they're not paying attention, if all those kinds of things, people worry about bringing this kind of delicate information into a family that doesn't have boundaries that screams and yells, that um, puts people down. You know, it's people who are in the in an infertility journey are very sensitive, and it doesn't take a lot to get somebody to really kind of um, shrivel. You could say some really kind of um, benign things, and it's bad uh, for them. So also um, letting down parents. For instance, if a man is um, the last male in the family, and he, you know, there's a lot of talk in the family about, you know, their genes, and he's unable to produce a genetic child. What kind of shame does he go into, and what he's uh, the fear of? What will the family think about that? So, um, and then you have the parents that are continually disappointed about not being grandparents. Right, the grandparents are saying, "When are you going to give me a child? When are you going to give me a grandchild?" Um, and that can be very difficult for people because if it's they then they start thinking, well, it's not a genetic child, will they will the grandparents love the child the same way? So there's a whole host of reasons why people end up kind of just you know, turning inward as they face third party. Um in in practice, uh you're right, I think that these concerns are fear based, which <laughs> most of our concerns are, I guess, uh, you know, in life in general. Um in practice, uh, because you see lots of families both post uh, making a decision and pre after the child is born and, and who have told, um, do often, do you see that these fears tend to actually materialize, or uh, uh, or does is it exclusively family dependent? Um, 
I have not really heard too many stories about um, the fears staying long-term, although I'm sure it does happen. I'm sure there's some families out there that uh, can't get past it. But generally I think what happens is that people fall in love with the baby. They fall in love with the baby and they're so happy that the couple finally has uh, a baby that everybody is really excited about it. Um, I've talked to so many people who say, why did I wait? Why would, what, what was I so worried about? It turned out fine. The baby is wonderful. Everybody's accepted the baby. And they end up, people who think um, that they're worried about bonding in the beginning say, oh, no, I'm not, I, I have no trouble bonding. So I think it's a lot of fear that it's fear of the unknown. You know, all that um, questions of what it's going to be like until you actually get there. I think you're so right about the fear of the unknown. But there's also a burden associated with carrying the secret. Um, I'm trying to let me find the question. Here's, I think that uh, this is a, a good question that to, to talk about the burden of, of not telling. And this yeah. is from Brittany. She says, here's my problem. Our family all knows we had IVF to get our twins, but we didn't think it was anyone's business about the donor eggs. But now that they're toddlers, it is really apparent that they got a lot of their looks, especially one of our daughters, from the donor's side of the family. This child looks nothing at all like my husband's family or me, even though we chose a donor who resembled me or at least had my basic features. We are getting lots of questions about where her hair color and curls come from. I am really confused on how to respond or if now is the time to be honest. Uh, you know, I think that as we talk, I, I, I think it's. I was glad we got a question that that addresses, because I do think that part of the issue of telling versus non-telling, it, when you're trying to make the decision, is to realize some of the downsides associated with with both, actually. But uh, for now, let's talk about the downsides to deciding not to tell uh, anyone, or in this case, uh, her family. Well, the downside is that they will always be questions. You know, we are a universe of resemblance talk, right? So people will say, um, who does the baby look like? Oh, where did they get that color hair? You know, that's how we connect with people. So it's, um, and for people who have, um, oftentimes for people who have decided not to tell anybody, that can feel like a little dagger, you know, oh, my God, what do I say? So I think that it's important for people to, when, they, when they're when they in that position, have something in their back pocket to know what to say. Um, you, it could be it's this child has my husband's side of the family's looks, whatever, so that they can get through it. And then at some point they have to make the decision, will they end up telling people or not? Um, and that's a very personal decision. Some people are very comfortable um, being advocates for third-party reproduction, and some people are not. They're afraid that people are going to uh, judge them because of religion, because it's um, uh, too science fiction, because, you know, why didn't they adopt? There's lots of reasons why people don't want to hear other people's responses. And so I think that's such a personal decision in terms of being open versus not being open. And I do find that um, people are really curious about this. You know, the more that the, more that the couple is um, comfortable 
with how they brought this wonderful being into the world. Um, Generally, with that comes an ease of being able to talk about it. That's not always the case for everybody. So it's this conundrum about, you know, I think it, it really depends on who's in the family and how they feel about bringing these wonderful kids into the universe. You know, when we talk about downsides of keeping the secret, one we we mentioned is kind of the resemblance talk. That comes up. What are some other times that that, uh, raise their heads and and, and causes discomfort for um, uh, people who have not told? Well, what happens is, you know, there's so many things that are happening in in technology and medicine that it will be very difficult to keep this information quiet. So I think that what happens with children, as children who are either donor egg or donor sperm or embryo offspring, as they grow up and they go in, let's say they're in middle school and they start getting um, genetics. Mm-hmm. So, so the kid could come back and say, oh, let me see your tongue. Does it do that kind of yes. flower the rolling thing? Of it, rolling I've of your tongue. I've got to fill out the pundit square on eye color and I, tongue rolling. Uh, yeah, yes, every exactly. every or, every seventh and eighth grader in the U.S. does does and Phil comes home and looks at their parents and says, "Roll your tongue. Let me look at your earlobe, and let me check exactly. out your eye color." Mm-hmm. Right, and so then they then they go back to school. Well, Ma, Dad, how come this is? How come this? That shouldn't be, you know. And then you've got to then you're faced with now. What do I do? Right. So that's a that's a concern that people have. You know, you have people have to really know that that may. I mean, there's a good chance that that's going to happen. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, what is the child going to say to you is a category that's really difficult for people. Two is when people say, oh, this baby doesn't look anything like you, what do people say? And so you're going to mm-hmm. have to, you can use humor. Oh, it was the mailman. Or you can say, you know, it looks like somebody so-and-so's grandfather, you know, if you're not ready to tell other people. I think those are the two biggest areas that I find um, are the most um, difficult for people as they're thinking about this. And then the downsides of telling that people, we, we, you did a great job of of talking at, at, uh, at the beginning of talking about some of the fear base, the fear of the unknown. Um, and, and you also mentioned another downside is fear of being judged. And, and I think that is such a, a, a valid point. Uh, it, it seems incomprehensible so often to me that somebody would judge some, uh, anyone on their method of, of creating their family, but the reality is they will. And as you say, they may get somebody saying, well, you know, why did you, you know, go get donor egg when you could as a human being, perfectly formed human being out there, you know, thousands, of, we always hear that, you know, there's millions of kids in need of a home. Um, I will add for, um, and I will link to it on our uh, blog tomorrow because we'll, we will blog on the subject. I will link to it. I've done a number of blogs on, uh, so you're infertile. Why not just adopt that type of thing? You know, there's, there's, uh, it's a recurring theme. You know, regardless uh, of how, but but certainly the further along you go on, up the infertility escalator, uh, the more you hear that that the issues of. Well, okay, but why didn't you just adopt? So I, I do think that's a very uh, reason that people just want to avoid that conversation. Um, although um, 
if, if you're afraid of, of hearing that and, and don't have a response, then by all means, uh, read the blog that I will link to tomorrow on the, the blog I do on this show um, about, because we do provide answers as to why not just adopt. Um, you mentioned uh, religious uh, uh, restraints as well. Um, do you happen to know off the top of your head what religions would have a problem with third-party reproduction? Well, Catholicism has uh, says it's it's against God to do this. I think there's some well, there's some countries in the um, uh, um, I'm having a blanking out the um, Islam Islam Islam. Thank Muslim. you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Right, there's some there's some countries where it's against the law there, um, and it's not against the law in the Jewish religion, although there are very complicated laws to decide how to do that that um, seem to change depending on the rabbi that you're talking to. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, and then and the, there and the religion Christ- of the uh, And the religion yes. of the donor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, mm-hmm. there, but there are Christian, or, there are Christian sects that think this is a wonderful thing to do. You're bringing life into the world. And so they embrace it. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, re, uh, the fear of, of, Family, especially uh, when their uh, disapproval is based on their religion, is one of the hardest to get around. I think uh, it because is. no amount of, uh, especially if the family in question is quite devout, there's no amount of love of the child that's going to overcome the basic feeling that the child was brought into the world uh, based on, for lack of a better word, a sin. So I, yes. I think that, you know, that's. That just gets, that's a sticky wicket, shall we say. It is very. I think it's really hard. And a lot of people don't talk to their their, their parents if they're old school from another country that where it is um, considered illegal, or they have grandparents. They, you know, they say, well, I'll talk to my mom and dad, but, you know, they're not going to tell grandma and grandpa because they're in their 80s and they wouldn't understand the technology. And besides that, they're really religious, you know. And so it is, I agree with you, I think that's a really hard um, area to be able to talk to somebody. Yeah, I do as well. Um, And at some point, personally, I would wonder, you know, where's the upside here? You know, you're not going to change anybody's religious view. Right. That should just be my thoughts. But uh, and every, everybody's going to obviously have to draw that line on their own. However, it does seem that that's an easier line to draw, especially if it's a grandparent situation. Uh, you know, when we talked earlier about it's, uh, you're often in the position of faced with telling no one or telling everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and I think that's very real, and I think that people are naive to think that they can tell their sister but not tell their brother and think or vice versa and not think it's not going to get back. Uh, but I do think that the line between older grandparents uh, uh, who who are not being told and everybody who's pretty much on the same page as to why they aren't being told, that seems an easier line to draw. I, I don't know. Have you seen that as well? I think that people, I, yes, I do think it's an easier line to draw. And I think everybody has to go in knowing if you're going to make a choice between a sibling to tell one and not the other or you're going to make a, cho- a decision to tell an in-law and not the parent, you have to know that it may get back and you will be, you know, if it does, you'll be faced with that situation where you will have to discuss it. And how comfortable are you, right? Well, or that at that point you have hurt feelings. 
because there's if you've chosen not to tell somebody, you've chosen for a reason, and, and the reason is obvious at that point because you did not trust them with the information for whatever reason. Um, and that tends to cause hurt feelings, or at least I would think it would. Well, it can cause hurt feelings, but that has to then you have to kind of uh, own that and decide what to do with it. How are you going to mend this? Uh, mend this hurt. Can you mend it by just sitting down and having a family meeting? Do you have to have a uh, a therapist come in and help you? Because yes, yeah, certainly, if if there's no trust, it's a deeper problem than just about this. You know, it's mm-hmm. this and something else that happened in the family of origin growing up, or you know, some some reason why there was no trust. Mhm. Yeah. Um. If you plan on telling your child, does that influence who else you tell? And I ask that question because of that. We see this in a lot of areas with children that we want them to make the distinction between privacy versus secrecy. We want mm-hmm. them to know that some information is its nothing to be ashamed of, but it's something that's private. But the reality is some children are neither private nor secret. So right. how does that impact your uh, decision on on who to tell if your expectation is that you will tell the child? Well, I think you have to understand that, you know, children, uh, you know, when they're really young, they are bladder mouths. So they could say anything. Um, I remember I had a client who said that a four-year-old got up in their pre-clay class and told the whole story about gestational surrogacy. So that's a you know that that child was really excited about how she came into the world and felt like she could share it with other people. Now, so the teacher knew. Did the kids tell go home and tell the their parents? Probably not, because they probably didn't even care what she was. They talking probably didn't about. understand it. <laughs> hey, right? They thought, what is she talking about? Can we go have recess? Right? Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, I'm busy but, picking my nose. I really don't want to hear about it. Nope. Exactly. Right. So that's. You know, but kids kids will talk. As they get older, they might have confidants. So, and that doesn't mean the confidant's going to be another kid. They might say, Ma, do you know what I just heard about so-and-so? So, you know, it, it does take a certain amount of um, self-reflection in terms of what can you do and what can't you do and to know that it might happen. And if if people talk about it behind your back, what do you think about it? If people talk about it to your face, how do you think you would handle that, right? So there's different things. There might be people who are talking and it may never get to you. And how does that feel for the person who's who's doing this? Because you can't really say to a kid, I'm going to talk to you, but let's keep it a secret because that's shaming. And shaming is never good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think there are ways to discuss with children, but I I, I completely agree with you that there's there's simply no guarantee. Um, but and especially with young children, but generally the information we give very young children, although we encourage people to certainly lay the groundwork for filling in the details, but it's not so detailed that we have to worry that what they're going to say because we had help getting you. We had help from a, a special uh, lady or a special man to get you. You know, it's not real specific, but as a child gets older, it becomes more specific. But it, but as they get older, isn't it possible to work with children to discuss, 
this is private information. It's you know it's it's information that we don't share with everybody. Uh, it's something that we certainly are thrilled about because we're thrilled about you. But it's not, or is that just really too fine a distinction? No, I think saying family, this is family information is appropriate. And you can discuss it with kids and say, listen, this is family information. Now that you have a little bit more detail, always come to us. We're here for you to answer any questions that you might have about it. But as they move along, then they have to make the decisions. What are they? Who are they going to tell and who are they not going to tell? Some kids continue to keep it quiet and just ask questions of their family, but then you might get a kid who's really curious mm-hmm. and yeah. might want to really yeah. talk about it. And doesn't feel any shame and doesn't see any really downside to talking about it because it doesn't change the fact of who their mom and their dad is. It doesn't check. Yeah, I, yeah no, exactly. I, and, and in some ways that may be the, you know, of course it's so temperamentally related, but it could also just be a, a sign of a very healthy, well-adjusted kid who sees it's just it's just how I came to be not an area of anything that needs to be uh, a a secret. Uh, Right. And and one of the things I do say to couples is the child who's coming into into the world, that you're bringing into the world, doesn't know your pain. And so they come to this with so many years or maybe months, whatever it is, of doing IVF and IUI and failed cycles and losses, and they are in pain. But they're bringing in a child that just is happy to be here. So yeah. you can get a kid who is just, you know, kicking up their heels. Wow, this is cool. I'm, you know, I love my story and, mm-hmm. and want to tell people. And so it means, you know, so it's it, there's kind of like a really disconnect between how the parents might be thinking about it and how the child might be thinking about it. Oh, that is such a good point, yeah. And and it, and we certainly want, in many ways, to be raising our children to feel like the way they came to be and everything about them is is a good thing, you know. Right. That's uh, right. Yeah, that's that's certainly not a that's certainly not something that we would want to to dis uh, to, to disencourage. You are listening to Creating a Family today. We're talking about overcoming reluctance to donor embryo, donor egg, donor sperm in your extended family. Creating a Family has the largest infertility infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us on Twitter. You can connect with us at Creating a Family, all one word. On Facebook, there are three ways to connect with us. One, we have, of course, a Creating a Family page. We also have a large, active, and uh, very supportive support group, a creating uh, a Facebook support group, uh, also titled Creating a Family. Or you can connect with me personally, dawn.davenport1. Uh, to find either the page or the group, you can type in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box, and uh, both of them will pop up. You can like the page and join the group. It is a closed group, but uh, if you ask to be uh, to be admitted, we will we will certainly certainly do that. I have a very um, it's a long question, but it was the question that kind of spurred uh, this uh, uh, the whole doing the whole show. So I I think I'm going to read it uh, completely. It, it touches it raises a lot of kind of interesting points that I think would be worthy and, and helpful. So I am going to read the whole thing. She says, I would really appreciate all of your opinions on how to handle a situation with my mother-in-law and father-in-law. They know of hubby's diagnosis of no sperm, and they know a bit about our IVFs. At first, they were quite freaked out with everything as they are a bit old-fashioned and like to appear as if their lives are perfect and 
at all times and never discuss issues. We weren't surprised how they initially handled the news in light of that. However, they eventually came around and even having frank discussions with us regarding donor sperm and embryo. Unfortunately, it was short-lived, and they flat, flat out told us that they didn't want to hear anything further. It was best, they said, to keep the details to ourselves, and even suggested that we tell no one, ever. Both my husband and I immediately asked them if they were ashamed of us or our decision, and they adamantly said no, that they just thought it was best if we kept them out of the loop. We were obviously hurt, but we let it go. We figured that if they were saying this, they obviously couldn't handle it, and it's best that we find out now. Over time, however, it's been impossible not to share certain details of our upcoming IVF, as they're planning a huge family vacation. If we have too young of a newborn, we won't be going. We thought it was fair to tell them now so there would be no surprises. I should mention, too, that my mother-in-law has actually asked me on rare occasions how things are going, so we didn't feel like we were breaking some oath by briefly talking about it. Well, now it's gotten to the point that even the slightest hint of our infertility uh, or IVF, they make it blaringly obvious that they don't want to hear it. They literally change the subject or get up and walk away, acting like they're doing something else. So my question is, do we have the right to feel hurt about this? Should we address it or should we respect their clear wishes and accept the fact that this is how it's going to be? Um, you know, I feel for her. She's in a, in many ways, a. it feels to me like a no-win situation. Um, Betty, do you have any thoughts on um, uh, how to handle a situation where somebody that you're obviously close to doesn't want to have any anything to do it, well, that may be unfair. Doesn't want to hear anything about that would be more accurate. Uh, what you're going through? Yeah, I feel for this this uh, person. I didn't get her name, but I do feel for her. And I do have a question. I wonder if there is another family member, a sibling who is either pregnant or just gave birth or has a young child, because uh, sometimes family parents can't bear. Um, they feel like they have to pick one side or the other. They can't be happy for the the, the uh, child that has has a, a newborn, and the other couple, if they're going through infertility, they don't know what to do. So, I would be I would love to get a little bit more information on that. Um, so yes, yeah, she said, do you have a right to be um, hurt? Yes, of course you have a right to be yeah. hurt. That's I think it, well, right? I, yeah, you got a right to be hurt. <laughs> yeah, sure you do. So. Um, you know this these are this is her parent the the in-laws issue right that that and i wonder what it is that you know why they can't talk about it at all is it a religious issue she did say something about she wanted they everything has to appear perfect which i'm really curious about that part of it what does that mean does that mean if they bring a baby in through sperm donation the family isn't perfect and I would want to have clarification on that. Um, it, it, I wonder, yeah. do you think it could have anything to do with talking about sex, even though they're talking about clinical sex or, you know, sex in a uh, reproduction, not sex, not intercourse, but I mean, do you think it could have anything to do with that, that, that it's just a distaste, you know, as as my, my uh, mother would have said, this is not tabletop conversation, you know, anything that had to do with <laughs> yeah. this, this is not appropriate, thank you very much. Well, well, I think that's a really good point. I think that, you know, when, um, you know, families go through different transitions, right, as as children grow up 
and they um, now leave the household, they're transitioning, and, and parent, the, the parents become grandparents, and there's some things that parents don't want to hear about their kids, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, nah, 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 don't tell me, right? Can't right. think about my child having sex, right? Mm-hmm. And let alone all the the science that they have to go through. So they may be freaked out just because it's, just like you said, it's uh, not a tabletop conversation. So I think that's a really good point. And, um, you know, unfortunately, unless there can be a different, unless there's an opening for conversation, I'm afraid they're going to go through this. And it's really, I, I really feel for her. You know, the only thing I think of is what you mentioned at the beginning, that oftentimes what happens, you can't necessarily bank on it, but but what often happens is once the child comes and is there, how the child got here becomes, it fades fades in importance. Right. Well, I hope that happens in this family. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I can imagine, you know, that the, the grandma and the grandpa pick up the baby and they just fall in love and they forget, right? Well, and here's an interesting case. Here's a case in somebody who wants to be open, and it's kind of the reverse of of of, uh, uh, of what we often see of people who are not sure how open to be. Here's a case of somebody who says there's nothing to be ashamed of. We, we you know, we want to be upfront and open and uh, about it. And, but they've got a family member who's going, and no, you know, as you said, no, 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 don't tell me. Yeah, right. Don't tell me. Yeah. And it's and I and I guess I'm going back to that statement where she said everything needs to be perfect. So I don't mm-hmm. know what that means exactly, but for some reason this this mom and dad in law have a vision of what their family should in quotes be. Um don't really know what that means exactly, but um that seems to be a big stickler about telling and not telling. Yeah, you in know, this case maybe, you're right. Maybe, yeah, maybe they don't want to have questions. Oh, so how'd your how? Oh, she had she had uh, your your child had a baby. How wonderful, you know. And they don't they don't want to get the questions. Yeah, and and in this case, it was the husband who was infertile. So right. it could be in some way a in their minds a reflection on imperfection that they've created. That there's right. something imperfect associated with. It's not. Uh, it's not her, it's him, and, and he's theirs. So, you know, I don't... Yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah, it's a reflection, it's a, a direct a reflection. reflection. Yeah. You know, we talked about that, I think most uh, parents, understandably, have a fundamental fear that, especially parents via third-party reproduction, that a family member, uh, a close family member in particular, will treat their child differently. And, and although you and I have both said that we think that oftentimes that does not happen, that's a that's a fear of the unknown, not a fear of something that, that has a high probability, I think it probably does happen at times. And so how should a how should people deal with the situation if and let's let's give it specifics. Uh one of their parents, uh in laws are are uh their parent, either one, does treat their child or they feel like they or their child is being treated differently because they are not a genetic they're not genetically related to that side of the family. Well I think as I recall, Resolve has a really wonderful um uh sheet on talking to families where they can use that as education to the family um, uh, as a starting point. And I think everybody can think about what it is that, you know, um, 
what's the difference? This is an example. I always talk to people about um, do they have um, dogs or cats and how much do they love them? And that they can bond with a dog or cat, why wouldn't they be able to bond to a a newborn? And I think that holds true for the parents as well. You know, and if they continue not to be able to bond and not be able to separate, there's something going on for them which requires, you know, if you if you really want to have that family unit, it will require some really deep conversations with them about, uh, listen, Mom, you know, I'm noticing that you're not really treating so-and-so um, the way you might treat the other grandkids. Can we talk about it? And see what happens. Somebody will have to be brave enough to, bra- to broach the topic. Not an easy conversation, but one that might be maybe needs to be had. And then again, always I think talking to having a um, counselor to talk. I often get conversa- um, people, uh, family members calling up, wanting a group on uh, a group for me to run on uh, parents of people going through infertility and how to behave. Yeah, so, that that would be immensely helpful. I think sometimes because yeah. a uh, an uh, a knowledgeable uh, but uh, uninvolved third party, uh, especially someone knowledgeable in, in family dynamics, would be I think hugely helpful. As you heard at the beginning, creating a family is a nonprofit, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. One way you can help us is by supporting those who support us. At the beginning, you've heard about a few of our gold sponsors. You'll hear about a few more later in the show, but we also have other sponsors as well. So if you're looking for an infertility clinic, an infertility doctor, an infertility attorney or a therapist or a sperm bank, egg bank, donor egg or surrogacy agency or donor embryo uh, agency, please make your first stop to creating a family databases on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, years in operation, just a whole host of criteria that we think are important when choosing. And you, but, and when you use our directory, you support those who support us, and we thank you. You know, as we as we have been talking here, Betty, uh, and I should say today's show, we're talking about uh, overcoming uh, extended family reluctance to donor egg, donor sperm, and donor embryo, third-party reproduction. Uh, as we were uh, talking about uh, this topic, it occurs to me that. A lot of the it, it it feels like from from what you're saying that some of the fundamental work that has to be done is for the couple itself to feel very comfortable with having made this decision, and that uh, do you see that the decision of telling and where to draw the line, who to tell, what to tell that becomes easier when the couple itself is uh, is more comfortable with what they are doing and and the rightness of this decision for them. Oh, a hundred percent. If if the couple is still um, uh, mourning the lack of genetics and how they are making a baby instead of what they thought how they thought they were going to do it, it makes it very hard to really think about um, that, that that talking to a child could be a good thing. So it does take a um, self you know some self awareness and self growth as you move through the process to really, once you start um, 
uh, feeling better about making this. And then ultimately what it is is when you have the baby and being so excited to have the baby, which doesn't mean that, you know, every once in a while you'll have thoughts come in your head, which, you know, the baby doesn't look like me or it doesn't have my talent. So it, it can go on past the birth of a baby. But the, the more that a couple gets comfortable with how the baby came into the world, the easier it is to face all the informa- all the possibilities of what people are going to say. You know, people say very hurtful things. Uh, people who've never been, um, had difficulty having babies, you know, say things that are really hurtful that they don't really understand mm-hmm. that, that are hurtful, like mm-hmm. um, just relax, you know, mm-hmm. if you weren't so tense, you, you'd get pregnant, um, you know, mm-hmm. things that are just really Silly. Not helpful. <laughs> not help. Not, not helpful, and really not true. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, infertility is a disease. It's not something that you can just relax and make a baby. Yeah. So, um, you know, if that were the case, when, they would have gotten pregnant the first month. I always say, you yeah. know, if, if relaxing, <laughs> then then the first month when you pop the cork of the bottle of wine and lit a few candles, you'd be pregnant. You, yeah, it's right. not. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> and you know, and, and going back to family members. Some family members just have no idea. They had babies really quickly, you know, everybody in the family, and then all of a sudden the the, the son or the daughter is having this difficult situation, and they feel really so different from the rest of the family. And, and the fact that people don't really get it just um, amplifies their uh, isolation and feeling different about it. And so sometimes... People have to be educated about what they're going through, and once they're ed- once the couple feels okay that they feel like they can educate the family member or you know the mom or dad or whoever it is, and, and sometimes people are are happy to be supportive. They just don't know about it. So education can be really important. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because you are, I mean, that's the mission at Creating a Family is to provide unbiased, medically accurate information and support to the community. You know, so that is our mission, and I think you are so right. And I should mention also, let me just throw this out there now, that we do have extensive extensive resources on talking with families uh, and friends about infertility uh, and and third-party reproduction. Um, One thought I had, too, going back to the uh, question we got, that spurred this whole show where the uh, the in-laws were so obviously and painfully uncomfortable. It occurs to me that there could be some guilt, too, associated with that. What did we do that may have, have caused that our son to, you know, did he have the mumps? Did I not? You know, I, I realize that that's likely not the case. But, you know, is there something that we did that could have caused him his infertility? I think that parents... Um, so often do slip into the uh, guilt mode, and and I wonder if that's a, you know, you, you, we don't think about it in, in in much older parents, or in this case, you know, uh, with with totally adult children, we kind of think that people are supposed to get past the guilt, but you know, I'm not sure that it works that way. My kids are getting older, and I I don't I haven't noticed that I feel less guilty, you know, about things that 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 than when they were you know toddlers. So I, I don't know. Could that be a factor as well? I think you're a parent for life, <laughs> and so I, and I, and I think you feel guilty. You know, I mean, there's certainly 
if a child comes in and has a genetic condition and that's why they're not they're using third party you know it's not uh it's not just um you know, there's many reasons why people have to use a third party. Um, it could be uh, cancer-related. It could be, you know, genetic-related. It could be that they're older, they're trying to have a baby when they're older. So, yes, I do think that people, you know, that's it. And that's about feeling the sorrow of your child. And that's and then hard. Was, oh, my God, it's very hard. You know, it's you never so want your kids to hurt. Yeah, no, you don't. and, and, yeah, and yeah. I don't think it matters what age your child is. You just—it's so hard to hear their pain, and just to be there for their pain, and not to try to fix it. Uh, and obviously, this infertility is not something that your parents can fix. Right. And so, for parents, you know, if we're talking—if there are any parents that are um, listening—it's about really being uh, not only respecting the boundaries of the couple. But also trying to keep, um, just trying to listen to what is going on for the couple, as opposed to telling them what to do. Or you know, I had a girlfriend. I, oh, I have a friend whose daughter just did so and so, and she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it's you know, you want to just kind of be sensitive to all their uh, pain and and the stress that they're going through. They're trying to get a, have a baby. And they're not choosing to be childless. So just be, a, you know, you want to be supportive, but you don't want to be overbearing. So mm-hmm. listening, listening, listening. And then the biggest question is, what can I, is there anything you need from me? You know, is there anything I can do to help you? Mm-hmm. With, you know, and just open an open question without giving advice or, well, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. Right. Yeah, can we can we just kind of patent what you just said and put it in a drug format and give it to <laughs> give it yeah. give it as a pill to uh, to all family members? Uh, that would be that would be so nice. Yeah, uh, and like I really to... do. Yeah, I do feel what? for this woman. The woman, the last the last uh, woman that you told us the story about, mm-hmm. where the in laws freaked out. I do feel for her because you know we everybody would like to be heard and would be respected and acknowledged and. You know, to know that their pain is being acknowledged. Yeah, exactly, and 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 hopefully their uh, donor sperm cycle will be successful, and they want their pain and their their joy to be able to be shared fully. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I agree with you. Um, let me take a moment quickly to thank another few of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show and all the resources provided by Creating a Family. Fairfax Cryobank has been a leader in sperm donation for over 20 years and is dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors. Only one in 200 applicants make it through their screening process to become donors. We also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina. They were the pioneers of the first embryo donation program in an agency format, uh, and they have had many, many babies born through their Snowflakes Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program. We have a question from Catherine. She says, how do you deal with family members who persistently refer to the donor as the mother or real mother or father or real father? Well, that's a real trigger. Right, boy, so it would I think, be. <laughs> yeah, wow. And so I think that talk—that's about having a really frank discussion 
about nurture versus nature um, and and really explain to them. I mean, I always think of mother and father as really um, sacred words, right? Because that talks, when you say mother and father, that's a description of a job as well as a level of love. So a donor, again, this is about education. A donor gave a cell to create an embryo and has really, I mean, and, 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 and people are really thankful for that donation. But the, the donor's not getting up in the middle of the night and um, uh, changing diapers and, and kissing boo-boos and driving them to um, soccer practice. That's what a mother is. And a father, of course, does the same thing. So it's really about educating the parents, the grandparents, right, that please, that's very hurtful, and this is my this is my definition of a mother. This is my definition of a father. And if you can't hear that and you can't believe it, then please don't 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 say anything to me. Mm-hmm. I would be really whether you firm agree with or that. not. Yeah, whether and that's I love that whether you agree or not. This is how we're approaching it, and what you're right. saying is hurtful. So please don't say it. Yes, correct. Yeah, I would be really yeah, firm. I'll... I would be really firm with that. Mhm. Yeah, I like and that. I would, and I and I and I guess I wonder again. I get curious about is that coming from a religious point of view? What point of view is? Where does that come from in the person who's asking that? You know, is that from their fear or is that from their? Why why are they thinking that way? Or do they just need some education? You know, and I I do think sometimes that we jump. Eh, our feelings are hurt, so we immediately jump to uh, 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 associating in that with ill intent, when it could just be ignorance. Uh, yes. And now it's it's what's hard. To, what's hard is if you've explained it before, and they do it again. That's hard because then you you start to question whether is this is there a poor intent. But I always tell people, and I, I so believe that we have to assume good intent to begin with. Unless proven otherwise, and I think sometimes when our feelings get hurt, we assumed ill intent first, you know, that, that, and, yes. and progress onward from that. Um, but uh, so education would be your first approach, and then yes. if there's continued disregard, then a very, very firm discussion that says, "I see that you don't agree with me, but I want you to know it hurts my feelings, and I also want you to know that I don't want you to say that in my presence." Or certainly right. in my child's presence. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and you know, so, even when I do donor, when I do a, a recipient consult at RMA, and the the recipient mom or whoever, if it's a uh, donor consult or a sperm consult, if they refer to the donor as the mother, I always correct them to say, no, you're the mother, and they kind their eyes get kind of big, and oh, of course. You know, so even people going through it don't mm-hmm. um, always think about it that way. And, and then I say, you know, you are the mother in all ways. It's a cell. She donated it. And now you get to take care of this baby. And they are so, well, I, it changes their perspective. I will say we've had the most interesting discussion on a blog that uh, I did last week. Uh, the blog was titled, Is a donor is an egg donor a mother, a sperm donor a father? Uh, uh-huh. question marks. And uh, it was based on a comment that I received on uh, a blog I had done a while ago 
uh, on uh, tips for telling uh, children uh, th- uh, via third-party conception their conception story. Had a shorter uh-huh. title than that, but and one of the things I had said in the tips was that uh, that language matters, and you are the mother, and the donor is the donor, or something along those lines. And right. that when you refer to the person that that the donor, you use the word donor. Well, I, we, somebody had commented on it and and strongly disagreed with me, and she made a very made a, a very a cogent argument. I mean, it was an interesting. It made me think. So I posted her uh, question, which is that was her question that her belief is that a uh, regardless of how we want to define it, that a, uh, a egg donor is in fact is a mother, not the only mother, but a mother. Anyway, so I I posted her discussion, her question, uh, her statement, I suppose, uh, and we have had the most fascinating discussion. And I will admit that that not everybody agrees with me. Uh, that, uh, but it's it is I. For those people listening, I would strongly recommend it is. It, it's been respectful. It's been interesting. It's been thought provoking. Mm-hmm. And even though yeah. I I I am not in agreement necessarily with all of it, I. I do find it to have been fascinating. Uh, one very last quick thing that we have uh, time for is that we got, just got an email from John saying that uh, to be aware of the fact, uh, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but to be aware of the fact that if parents do, uh, grandparents do continue to not treat your child fairly, that your ultimate obligation is to protect your child and that you may have to cut them out of your life. Uh, mm-hmm. He said it a, a lot longer than that, but, but the whole point was that um, – if in fact your parents don't respect, and I, I would assume you would agree with that. That ultimately we have to protect our child. Always. Yes. Yeah, always. Yeah. yeah our mama okay. bear and our papa bear comes out. Yeah. So his point yeah. was well taken. Even though we hope well that taken. that is not does not is not the ultimate. We hope that both uh, number one they'll fall in love with the baby. Number two is education. Uh, they will overcome it. But if they don't, then uh, in fact, uh, you, you, you say them, you become the mama bear. So yeah. thank you so much, Betty Galen, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. As I mentioned before, we're going to be uh, blogging and, and having a discussion in the blog on the topics of the of the of the show, uh, and that will be posted tomorrow. So if anyone's listening and wants to participate, please come on over to creatingafamily.org/blog and join in on the discussion. To get more information about Betty, there's I think probably two places. I know that the uh, uh, Reproductive Medicine Associates in New Jersey website, you can get information, and that's rmanj.com. Betty, do you have a uh, personal website uh, for your private practice that I can send people to as well? It is. It's www.bettygalen.com. Excellent. And thank you, everyone, so much for joining us today, and I look forward to continuing this discussion with you tomorrow on the blog, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.